Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and it's my privilege and real joy to welcome one of my own teachers to the show, Dr. John Oswalt. He's presently visiting distinguished professor of Old Testament at Asbury Theological Seminary. Uh, He's also taught at Wesley Biblical Seminary and Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and was even a president of Asbury College, now Asbury University, from 83 to 86. Dr. Roosevelt is probably best known as the author of the two-volume Isaiah commentaries and the New International Commentary in the Old Testament. The focus of our conversation today is really the gift that Dr. Roosevelt gave me. He was a mentor of mine when I was a student and in my early days of teaching as a teaching fellow at Asbury. From 1993 to 1996, I had the privilege, along with a couple other guys, of meeting with Dr. Roosevelt every Friday at noon to share life, to hear him pour into us about the message of Christian holiness. Uh, If you're interested, we'll mention these during the interview. Uh, His books, Called to Be Holy... These are popular level books that everybody is able to read, A Biblical Perspective, and then The Bible Among the Myths. These are two books that I really recommend in addition to all of his scholarly work on Isaiah if you want to get into his heart and get a sense of what the biblical message of holiness is all about. We're going to do a deep dive into entire sanctification, hear his best thinking, a little bit about his spiritual journey, and where his growing edge is today on his understanding of Christian holiness, Christian perfection, holiness of heart or life, perfect love, all the different ways that we can talk about that deeper work that God desires to do in all of us. Let's listen to the interview. Hey, John, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you. I'm glad for the opportunity. Yeah, can you share some of the key moments in, in your spiritual journey that led you to really a lifelong ministry of teaching and preaching and, and especially kind of throw in there some of how you were introduced to the holiness message, which has been so much of part of what you've been at uh, Asbury and the other places you've taught? I don't know whether you've got enough time or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I grew up in a, a country home, uh, parents who who lived together for uh, 71 years, uh, and I don't think ever really understood each other. <laughs> but, but you know, there, there was no um, uh, what I would call dysfunction, but um, they, were, they were committed to each other, and so they stayed together. They, were, they had both had a deep experience of conversion in the 1930s, in the in the middle of the Depression, in the little Methodist church where uh, uh, they had grown up and I had grown up, uh, I grew up later. Uh, there was a a revival meeting that made a serious difference in that community, and so so we were among those who, when the church doors were open, we were there, and um, so I th- I think that simply laid a foundation that. Uh, has, has been solid ever since. Uh, when I was about 13, I felt called into the ministry. And I told my mother about it, and she got all teary-eyed. And I said, what's the matter with you? She said, well, uh, I, I'm a caboose. I was born nine years after my sister. 
She said, when I knew I was pregnant, uh, I told the Lord that if he would give me a boy, I would give him back to you. And I thought, oh my goodness, here I thought it was my decision. They <laughs> <laughs> did before I was born. <laughs> when I was 13, that was okay. When I was 16, it was not okay. Uh, I was a big, awkward kid. I cried at the drop of a hat. Uh, I was I was way too smart for my country high school. Being smart was definitely a disadvantage. So uh, I decided that um, I would be a lawyer. I, I had been I was president of the youth group, and in in one administrative board meeting, one of the ladies said to me, "Johnny, I think you'd make a pretty good lawyer." <laughs> so I snatched at that simply as something to do rather than being a preacher. My parents told me that they would pay my way to any of three colleges, uh, Asbury College, Taylor University, or Wheaton College. Well, the only sport in our country high school was basketball. And uh, I have, for whatever reason, lousy coordination. So I was never any good at basketball. But I thought maybe I could play football. Well, Asbury was out, they didn't have football. And Wheaton, uh, they were kind of big time. And I thought not having played in high school, I probably wouldn't have a chance. So I chose Taylor for the very best reasons. It's good. <laughs> God thing. It was, Taylor was just absolutely what this kid needed at that point in his life. I'd never met really sharp, committed Christian young people before. And, and now I did. And, uh, so for during my freshman year, for the first time, I began to read the Bible seriously. And my, uh, my prayer was, Lord, please don't make me be a preacher. <laughs> my, my, the summer uh, of between freshman and sophomore years, I went to be a dishwasher at a Bible conference uh, in Michigan. And so every week, every week they had a different preacher. They had a different uh, evangelist. They had a different missionary. So for a whole summer, I was just immersed in that and uh, came back to Taylor. And uh, by the way, I met a cute young girl who was uh, headed to Wheaton that fall. Uh, and uh, four years later, she was silly enough to marry me. Uh, but uh, uh, I went back to Taylor that fall and Taylor at that point, they may still have, a, they call it spiritual emphasis week at the beginning of each semester. And a man named Dennis Kinlaw, a young preacher from uh, Loudonville, New York, suburb of Albany, was the preacher. And I remember telling a friend, when I listened to that guy, I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. Wow. And I went to talk to him on a Thursday morning in a women's dormitory that no longer exists. <laughs> it's difficult when your holy places don't exist. And... Uh, he said to me after we talked a bit, John, your problem is that you're on the throne of your life and you're never gonna be content until Jesus is on the throne. We talked a bit more and I, he said, would you like him to be on the throne? I said, yeah. In, a, in what I learned later is a very typical Kinlaw gesture. He, we were sitting on chairs facing each other and he edged himself out to the edge of his chair so that his uh, nose was about six inches from mine and he said John what is there you won't do I just blurted it out I won't be a preacher he said well 
I guess that's the end of our discussion then, isn't it? I said, no, no, I, I want Jesus to be on the throne. He said, how can he be on the throne if there's something he wants you to do that you won't do? So, uh, no lights flashed, no lightning. But I said, yes, God, I'll give you everything, whatever that means. And I remember afterwards going to uh, the uh, dining hall, sitting at a table and looking out the window and thinking, well, I don't feel any different, mm. but everything's going to be different. And it was. It's hard for me to quantify just how it was different, but it was. Mm -hmm. it was. There, was a, there was a new love for the word. There was a new ease in prayer. There was a new victory over temptations. Um, it was different. And uh, so I, I looked around and all the sharpest kids were headed to foreign missionary service. So I bought the idea that if you're not called to stay home, then you better go. <laughs> so I, I plunged myself into that direction. And uh, uh, the end of my junior year, uh, Dr. Kinlaw came back for the spring spiritual emphasis week. And uh, I was talking to him again. At that point, Taylor was it had been Methodist all its life, but the the proportions were changing. It was becoming more Baptistic. And at that point, if you were going to go to seminary, you went to Fuller or to Westminster or to Gordon. So Dr. Kinlaw said, uh, you plan to go to seminary? And I said, yeah. He said, where are you planning to go? I said, well, probably Fuller or Westminster or Gordon. Again, the six inch. John, you're a Methodist, aren't you? I said, yes. Why would you go to a seminary that would destroy your heritage? <laughs> I said, oh, where do you think I should go? At that point, if he had told me to go to the moon, I would have tried. Right. He said, Asbury Theological Seminary. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> I applied and was accepted and came uh, to the seminary in 1961. Now, my family had, had gone to a holiness camp meeting in Mount Vernon, Ohio, called Camp Syker, um, on weekends during the annual meetings. Uh, and that's really where, as a five-year-old, I accepted Jesus as my savior. Uh, but I really knew very little about the holiness message. Uh, and coming to Asbury, I began to discover it. And it was just great, good news. I can be the person God intends me to be. And I, to my knowledge, Dr. Kinlaw did not use any of the uh, holiness language. I don't think he used the word entire sanctification. But suddenly I had language to define what had happened to me a couple of years earlier. And uh, uh, so that it just, and I, I've said this to others, uh, and it's, a, it's a, a bit of a grief, but I, I discovered that the, the students who were really excited about holiness were those who had not grown up in the movement. And the ones who were skeptical and cynical were the ones who had. Yeah. 
And I realized that it's because of, of the, the tragic byproduct that we so emphasize correct performance. So these little kids all their lives had had this weight upon them. You gotta do this, you gotta do that. And uh, so it was, it, as I began to reflect on that, it, it was a grief to me. Um, uh, does our doctrine have a, a dark underside? Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, but for me, it was, it was joy. And um, my, my second year, Karen and I had been married that summer, my second year in seminary, over a period of about a week, I just had an increasing feeling, you need to become a teacher. You need to become a teacher. Now, the interesting thing is, when I was at Taylor, my senior year, I was in an English literature class, and the professor, a, a very astute woman, uh, said to me, John, stop and talk to me after class. And I said, okay. She looked at me and she said, John, you should become a teacher. You have the gifts. And I, at that point, said, oh, no, I'm going to become a missionary. And she said, that's fine. You do what God wants you to do, but you have the gift. So that was a bit of a confirmation. And uh, then I thought, well, okay, all right, what shall I teach? Well, I had, had, had started working through the Old Testament at Taylor and was inching my way through it uh, chapter by chapter and just reveling in it. It just opened doors and windows onto the Christian faith. And at that time, I was uh, uh, in my second semester of Hebrew and I liked Greek, but Hebrew was different. <laughs> yeah. And so I thought, okay, I'll teach Old Testament. And that, that's really where it all started. When we were finishing seminary, uh, we began to explore, Karen and I began to explore missionary service. And basically nobody at that point was going to say, yes, we'll honor your calling as a teacher and we'll, we'll find, you know, you, you just, you join up and you do what we tell you and maybe someday uh, we'll have a teaching place for you. Well, no, uh, uh, the, calling, the calling is just so clear and so persistent, uh, I, I've got to. Well, it's been a blessing in the years since, I think I, the other day I counted up and I think I've been in 30 countries uh, teaching uh, so I think God has kept his promise, but, uh, in, in another way. So, so that's, <laughs> that's the long form, but the short form. Uh, and, uh, uh, I, I just, for, for 50 years now, I've been, as I say to students in the Christian higher education racket, <laughs> it's, it's been the joy of my life. No, and you've had such a big influence. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, obviously, I was, I was in your classes. I mean, how do you know how many students that you've taught that are professors somewhere? I mean, you've ever kept track of anything like that? Not that your notch is on your belt, but I mean, you've had a tremendous influence on pastors. But I mean, how many, how many professors do you know that actually I had? I think you? it's between twenty-five and thirty. That's incredible. 
Well, I'm just super grateful. And I want to ask you like one kind of more Old Testament related question, then I want to keep our, and, I, and this is still related to holiness, but you know, we, you know, I love your book, The Bible Among the Myths. And I never got to take that signature class when I was at the seminary. So I think it only rotated through the one time when I was there, unfortunately, but always been intrigued. You do it in, in your book called to be holy. And then there's a lot, I mean, obviously the Bible among the myths is a lot about this, but you've, you've, you seem to have grabbed a hold of this idea where you contrast the, um, the, the mythic worldview of really Israel's neighbors or the pagan worldview. Uh, um, and then you contrast it with the way that Yahweh or God reveals uh, himself in the, in the old Testament and, and you, and that becomes kind of a core piece of how you teach holiness. Where, where did you get that idea? And, and it seems to me, and again, we don't talk enough, but like, it seems like all these ideas have just rushed right back into our culture right now. So it's like, it's never Absolutely. been more relevant. So, I mean, how did you Absolutely. get that insight? And, you know, and I'll just let, I'm just going to let, listen to you talk a little bit about that. And how does that, uh, how does that help us to communicate holiness today? Well, here comes Kinlaw again. <laughs> he came to Asbury Seminary to teach in 1963, which was my third year in seminary, the year I finished my, in those days, Bachelor of Divinity degree, which I'm very proud of, as a matter of fact, uh, and with an Old Testament background. And so uh, I stayed another year and did a THM with him. He taught a course called Literature of the Ancient Near East. And one of the readings was a Jewish guy named Yehezkel Kaufman, uh, who wrote a seven-volume history of Israel's religion in Israeli that was fortunately abridged into one volume in English. And in that book, he talked about the what he called correspondence, that the, that the pagan worldview sees the gods and nature and humans as all part of the cosmos and all integrally related to each other. He called it correspondence. I've hit on the word continuity. Um, and again, I could spend way longer than you have here, but, but the idea is how can we make the spirit powers of the universe, which are really in control, whether we like it or not, how can we make those spirit powers benefit us? How can we make them bless us? And the answer is continuity, that if I am part of the gods and the gods are part of nature and nature is part of me, then I can do things in the visible world that will automatically be replicated in the spirit world. And that, that's the fundamental idea that this cosmos is all there is. There is nothing else. And within this cosmos, we have the means of controlling those invisible powers that really run our lives. Now, I've, I've said many times, the ancient Sumerians are laughing at us Westerners, materialists who think that reality is merely physical and material. And the Sumerians are saying, you'll catch on later. You'll, you'll figure it out. There are spirits in here with us. Well, I think we're seeing that in our society. We have gained intense material wealth. We have gained incredible physical power. And we find a hole in our souls. And we say, what else is there? Ah, the spirits. 
The biblical worldview, on the other hand, is terrifying because it tells us God is not part of the cosmos. God is outside of the cosmos. The technical term, he transcends it. He is other than the cosmos. And what that means is I can't make him do anything. The only thing I can do to obtain blessing if he wants to give it, and I pray he does, the only thing I can do is surrender my life to him and trust him. Well, that's terrifying. That's terrifying. I don't want to let go control of my life. And in a sense, that's what happened to me in that dorm room at Taylor University. I said, okay, God, I think you do want to bless me. I think you are good, and I want your blessing, and I want your goodness. And if that means I have to turn my whole life over to you, then here it is. At the heart, that's what holiness is about. Holiness is about that utter surrender of ourselves in trust that the being who is beyond everything we know really cares about us and loves us and wants our best. Yeah. Now, that's, that's a terrible step of faith. Uh, maybe he's not. Maybe he's the monster. Thank God we have his word that assures us, no, he's not a monster. But nevertheless, it's a terrific step of faith. And I think in, in so many cases, uh, this, is, this is God's goal. He wants, I, I've just in recent years, just more and more landed on the idea, what is Christianity? It is a walk. Uh, three quarters of the uses of walk in the Bible are metaphorical. Only a quarter of them actually refer to physical progress. Three quarters of them are about a progressive relationship with God in which we come to share his character and his life. So, so yes, I think, I think the worldview issue is, is right at the core of it. And a lot of Christians don't know it, but they are pagan. They, their Christian activity, their religious activity is for the purpose of controlling God and forcing him to bless them. And when it doesn't work, then they lose their faith. Yeah. Uh, and, and they have fallen into a pagan view. But it is when we understand he is not this world and you cannot make him do whatever you want. You are his workmanship, and he wants to bless you, but he can't unless you surrender control of your life to him. Yeah, wow. I didn't put this in the questions. I'm, I'm just curious how you respond. I sometimes try to get this uh, idea across to, to students, and, and and I sort of make it a kind of a joking confession. I have a crazy sense of humor. We don't talk, <laughs> so you haven't got to see it, but I'll say, say something like in the class that, um, you know, I consider... Um, process of sanctification helping um, i always say hi i'm brian and i'm a um, recovering polytheist um <laughs> and then like what do you mean you believe in other gods i'm like well um actually yes and that's my entire problem is there's all these other gods rolling around in my life and there's really only one god and he's transcendent and i need to get all these other gods out of my or at least dethrone them and allow jesus yes. to be lord yes. over these things yeah. yes oh yes oh yes absolutely yeah. <laughs> that's, that's great if, if so, if someone's listening and they're interested in 
and looking in the scriptures for holiness. And again, I read your book called to be holy. I don't know if you, I don't think you've updated anything. I mean, do you think that's, is that still kind of your signature book? If somebody would want to jump in and get like an overview of the biblical materials, is that the, that kind yes. of, yeah. Yes. yes. So if you were going to, again, just play unfair question for a man who's been studying his bi the Bible for years, but you're going to pick just a couple passages from the old Testament that you'd encourage people to take a look at even today after they would finish listening in a couple passages from the new testament that if you really dug deep into them you'd get a decent biblical understanding into holiness again we're not we know proof texting so that's not what we're talking about but like you consider just some go-to passages that you think are really important and maybe even if the pastors are listening that these are texts that maybe ought to be preached more than they are often uh, preached yeah um leviticus 19 mm, yeah. the the entire chapter uh, where he starts by saying, you must be holy because I am holy. And then you have a whole mixed bag following through. Uh, don't make idols, honor your father and mother, uh, <laughs> which says to me, this is a life. Yeah, it's good. Life is shaped by him. And I think it's 31 times in the chapter, because I am Yahweh. Why should you live this way? Because he is the I am. He is the source of everything. And therefore, this is the way you should live, to share his character. Um, then a, a much briefer passage, Leviticus 22, 31 through 33. And, and if I may, I, I'll read that. Uh, Leviticus 22, 31 through 33. Keep my commands and follow them. I am Yahweh. Do not profane my holy name. If we don't act like Yahweh, we make him appear unholy. <laughs> don't profane my holy name. For I must be recognized as holy by the Israelites. Now, now the Hebrew says, I must be made holy by the Israelites. In other words, your life will demonstrate whether he is holy or not. I am the Lord who makes you holy. I just, I just love the synergy there. Uh, I am determined. I'm going to show God's character in my life. But I can't do that unless he produces his character in my life. So, and then who brought you out of Egypt to be your God? I am the Lord. I, I love when talking about the uh, covenant form that is so prevalent in the Old Testament to point out that in the standard uh, political treaty, it begins by the king saying, I showed up here and I beat you all hollow and now I'm offering you a covenant. <laughs> and God says, I showed up here and by grace delivered you from captivity. Now I'd like to offer you a covenant. Wow. 180 degrees difference. And so, so that's a, a second one. The a third one is Psalm 101. Yeah. I will walk before God and be perfect, says the King James. Um, NIV says blameless. That's not wrong, but it it misses the life quality that's involved in the Hebrew word 
to be whole, to be totally God's. Um, and then Ezekiel 36, verses 20 through 27, I think it is, where God gives a four-step program for making his name holy before the nations. Um, New Testament, Romans 6, 7, and 8. Do not read them separately. <laughs> so much damage has been done to the church by separating the three chapters from each other. They are meant to be read together. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Chapter six says, get out of the sin business. Oh, okay. I'll do that by effort. Oh, no, you won't. <laughs> that doesn't work. I can tell you that from my own personal testimony. So how do I get out of the sin business? By allowing the spirit who is in you to take control of you. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9, through the end of the book, 525. Uh, again, I, I just, I, I love it. Here's here, perhaps, perhaps Paul's first letter, maybe Galatians is earlier, uh, but the two of them really are, are marvelous twins, actually, when you read them together. But here's 1 Thessalonians. I, I've been so delighted to hear of your faith. I, the whole world knows of your faith. Now, I'm praying day and night to come and supply what's lacking in your faith. Huh? What? Is there more to believe for, Paul? Yes, there is. Let me tell you what it is. God's will is your holiness. What does that mean? Well, it has sexual implications. It has implications about your basic attitude to life. It has implications about your response to authority. It has implications about the way you think of the second coming. God can do this. He can do it wholly, <laughs> completely. <laughs> Soul, mind, and body. And then finally, <laughs> the book of first john yeah yeah and, and again i i love the wholeness of the book uh to be god's person means you love doing what he does to be god's person means you love other people like he loves them to be god's person is you love the jesus Second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, who came to deliver you. It's about love. It's good. It's good. This would be a can of worms, so you don't have to comment, but it's I find it really interesting. I've been trying to think about it in my own work. I've been writing a little book on scripture and spiritual formation that you know, first John ends with the uh, little children keep yourselves from idols, which seems to like maybe uh get back to some of the stuff that uh we talked about yep. earlier too. It's just fascinating, yep. right? So yes, yes. Yeah. I, and I, I, re, I do like that because it's, it's as though John is saying, now we've been in the theological stratosphere here. Yeah. Now let's get right down to where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. <laughs> Worshiping this world, folks. That's <laughs> yeah, good. That's good. <laughs> That's good. This, yeah, this is this is so good. I always, I've always just appreciated how how clear your teaching is, and so thanks. It just I feel like I'm back in your your class again, even in your office, and so so thank you. Um, 
you've been you've obviously you've been uh, on this walk for a long time and you I mean you t- shared your testimony so you know all the way back into the what late 50s early 60s you first encountered this message um if you're going to say today it's it, it, uh, again your age and I'm not trying to date you or anything but, but obviously you're a little, you're a little bit older you're a little bit older than I am and uh and so you've been you know you've been walking with the Lord for a long time uh, and been real intentional about um holiness um um, if when you look back, um, like to say when you're maybe 30 or 40 years old, or even in your 20s, um, where would you say your growing edges are now? Or even since you wrote, I mean, I think you wrote this about what called the hill about 20 years ago. Um, so, where would you say your growing edges are now? And and what would you what what do you find today, or or some of the best kind of go to illustrations that still seem to resonate with folks when you're trying to illustrate what holiness is? Um. As, as we talked a few minutes ago before the program began, I really think the thing that I have thought about is uh, if, if this doctrine is so biblical, and if it is such good news, and if it is indeed available for anyone at any time who will make a complete surrender, why aren't there more people who are obviously living holy lives? Yeah. I think the answer is, I, I think it's on two sides. I, I think on the one hand, it's on the side of us preachers who preach holiness that we have sometimes suggested, oh, there's a, a one-stop shop. Uh, there, there's one fix, and that'll take care of it. And then people have tried that and discovered, mm, there's more to it than that and have become uh, cynical, or they've become discouraged and and just given up on it. Others, unfortunately, have uh, begun to play act. Uh, Well, God has done it, so what I just did obviously wasn't a sin. So I, I I think the problem is we have not really faced the depths of human depravity. Good. Yes, is there a moment, a crisis moment, when I surrender my will to God once for all? Yes, praise God. And a moment when he comes in in his power and in his grace and lives in us. Jesus' words in chapter 15, we will indwell you. But that is not the end of the process. In many ways, it's the beginning. Yeah, And we need to help people to say, no, you do not need to deny the reality of what God did for you. But now you need to allow him to dig into your life in deep, life-changing ways. And when he raises issues, you've got to admit, yeah, that's who I am in myself. Mm-hmm. And you can deal with this. And I I think we just have not led people uh, well enough into that understanding. Now, let me say, uh, I, I've used the ex- in many places the example of the alcoholic. There are alcoholics from whom God has taken the taste for liquor in a miraculous moment. And we say, praise the Lord. They say, I've never wanted this stuff ever again. But there are other people. You say, no, every day I want it, but every day God is delivering me. 
oh, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. Sometimes I think people think, well, if, if I really get sanctified, I will never have a problem with that temptation again. Well, I'm not going to sell God short. <laughs> maybe so, but maybe not. Maybe, in fact, God is simply going to give you grace. And the fact that you are still experiencing that doesn't mean that he hasn't sanctified you, that he hasn't made you whole. But it's part of the process of growth in holiness. And I think, I think that's become more real for me as I've grown older and, and as I've lived longer, uh, that we need to help people to, to see holiness is a crisis, yes, and it is a lifelong process, yes. You taught me when, again, it's been, I mean, I sat in your office, went from like, I think 1993 to 1996, pretty much every Friday, and still so grateful for that, uh, for that time. Um, but I remember you talked about like a blank check. That was a really powerful illustration. I can remember you talking about um, God pulling out a, see what it was a cat, an old dead cat. <laughs> so, I mean, those are, I mean, maybe you can share one of those stories again, or have you found a, a other, maybe even, even more compelling story over the years? I mean, cause I've been trying to kind of collect these great holiness illustrations from folks. Cause I just think we need to get this message back out again. I mean, uh, one that, that, uh, again, I tell students all the time, all my original thoughts come from either C.S. Lewis or Dennis Kinlaw. <laughs> so, <laughs> thought. Uh, he really, uh, in, in his latter years, he really uh, landed on the, as he called it, the nuptial metaphor, the marriage metaphor. And as I have thought about this, I really think that Again, if you didn't know better, you might think God planned it this way. But marriage really is a, a marvelous metaphor for the holy life. Uh, it begins in a moment when I make an unreserved commitment of myself to this person. I, I've said to, to many people, uh, my marriage is perfect. And they say, oh, yeah, all right, tell us. It's perfect in this sense. I'm all hers. No part of me belongs to any other woman. And it's perfect from her side, too. We have both talked, as, as we've heard tragic stories. Uh, my goodness, what would it be to have to live with someone and you're always wondering, can I trust them when they're with somebody else of the opposite sex? Uh, no, <laughs> I, I trust Karen absolutely, and and she tells me she does too. Uh, now, is my commitment to her perfect? Yes. Can I say I am a perfect husband? No. No. I wish I could, <laughs> but. But there are areas where I fall short. There are areas where I, again, not intentionally, by no means intentionally, but there are times when I'm tired, I am moody, and she says something to me and I snap back. God forgive me, Karen forgive me. Uh, and, and to me, this is, I am not going to say, 
well, I'm just human, Karen, and you know how it is. Uh, I'll, I'm, I'm going away this weekend, and and I, I, I may I may shack up with a pretty woman, uh, but you know I love you. Well, I've said again and again, I hope she'd slug me. Yeah. No, no, and and that means that I, I personally have a lot of difficulty with some church services and their confessions. Well, Lord, this week I've broken your heart. This week I've done what I know you don't want me to do, but I did it anyhow. But Lord, forgive me. Give me a new heart and I'll be back next week with the same confession. Dear God, would I say that to Karen? No, no. Is there a place for confession? Absolutely. And, and this is where I think, again, the biblical uh, metaphors are exactly right. There is unwitting sin. Yes. <laughs> there's, there's sin that, and I, I actually think there are three kinds of sin now. This is, you talk about growing point. Uh, it used to be two, two, sin with a high hand. God, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway, and you better forgive me. And well, I did something I wasn't even aware of doing. I think in the middle between those, we might talk about unintentional sin, mm -hmm. that I was trapped into something that in a moment I did. Yes, intellectually, I knew it was wrong, but I didn't plan on doing it. I didn't mean to do it, but I did it. So I think maybe there is sin that I don't even know about. Mm -hmm. I need to confess that. God, there, I'm sure there have been things I have done this week that broke your heart, and I'm sorry. Let your blood wash me clean. And if you'll show me what those things are, I'll give your spirit right of way to work on them. Lord, there have been moments this week when I was trapped. I'm sorry. But so, yes, there's a place for that confession in the church service, and we ought to probably emphasize it, we Methodistic types, more than we do. But uh, the, the current Methodist ritual, uh, I, I simply, I cringe every time I, re I read it. Uh, no, I would not say that to Karen week after week. And by God's grace, I don't have to. So, so I find marriage uh, increasingly... Uh, a marvelous metaphor for what we're talking about. No, no, that's really that is really good, and I, I loved. I mean, I just love that. That the whole that was that was that was really good. Just a couple <laughs> questions, and we'll wrap up. And again, thanks so much for this. This is this is going to really help everybody that listens to it. Uh, and I still have my when I'm taping this. It's still the last it's the last week of the semester. I'm going to get it out to my students because I told them I was going to talk to you, so they're going to be excited <laughs> to, hear, to hear this too. So, um, if you could. Um, I mean, these, these can be kind of quick answers. If 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 uh, if you if you could have one class, create a new class for seminary, and you've been teaching the seminaries for what? I guess almost 50 years. I guess. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so like I started out when I was three. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Mozart. <laughs> well, so you so you've been around. I know you taught at a couple of different institutions. So like, if you could create a new class that. Um, th that would just for for 2021 that every pastor had to take um, what would it be biblical theology okay that's easy 
I, I teach Old Testament theology yeah. and love it, but but again, we need to put the whole story together. That's good. Yeah. So that's what it would be. No, that's, that's, that's I you you gave me the question in advance, and I thought about that, and I thought really, and I really yeah. That's good. No, I mean I think that's right. I mean uh, I'm not even going to argue with that. That's I mean there's not that's that's awesome. That's right. I mean and, and you've done that so well your whole life, and uh, yeah, and that's not everybody gets that today. And the very fact that most people don't know much about the scriptures these days, uh, that's probably that probably is the right way. Oh. If you're going to go with like two or three books outside the Bible that have really helped you um, spiritually. I mean, you could be academically too, but I was sort of like, just to get to, that's really helped you in your heart and to live out the Christian life. What would, what be, what would be a couple of those books? Well, uh, again, you gave me those in advance and I, I yeah. give thought up uh, and I, I realized several of them were important at the early stages. Mm -hmm. I've not necessarily looked at them since, but, but they were crucial at the time. And one is the shadow of the Almighty. Mm. This is the biography of Jim Elliot, one of the five missionaries who died in 1956 in Ecuador. Uh, and, and his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, wrote it from his journals. And to see in this young man uh, his devotion to God and his determination to live for God it's made an immense impression upon me, and I think it's still in print. Uh, it's it's a it's a good good book. Good. Another one was one called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, and and again, in both of these cases, uh, Elliot and Taylor, neither of them are Methodistic, uh, but they're both talking about a wholly surrendered life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, then. Uh, the one that I've gone back to again and again, my utmost for his highest by Oswald Chambers. I just, <laughs> I just can't beat it. I, every, every two or three years, I come back to it uh, thinking, well, now there's going to be one, a newer one that'll replace it. And nope. Uh, another one that is even <laughs> much, much older than that is the imitation of Christ by Thomas a Kempis. Uh, again, that one is what, from 1300 maybe? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then a, a final one that I read later, probably in my 30s or 40s, uh, and that, that really was very helpful is Dark Night of the Soul by St. John of the Cross, dealing with the absence of God. What, what do you do when you don't feel like he's there? Uh, and it, it's, it's a wonderful not an easy read it's it's you know again it's very very old but uh, but it's it's well worth it so those are the ones and and then i've i've never really read all of the pensées of pascal but i i dip into those from time to time good yeah those are good yeah yeah no thank you so much and uh you know again this is this could be another really long answer i'm just i mean to me you know you you know, you look, you really look pretty much the same as when I met you 30 years ago, which is awesome. And maybe that's genetics and stuff. But I mean, you've always had, a, you've always had a joy. I love your, you've, you've laughed. I mean, you've always had a great smile. And so you've just had the, the Christian joy. So, I mean, if you get under the hood or get behind the curtain and, you know, kind of, I mean, what are the habits that you've done 
that have really sustained you for the long haul and that you're still as excited. I mean, yeah, I want to be like you in, you know, in 20 or 30 more years. I mean, I really do. It's like, I want, I'm looking for mentors now. That's like, I want to, when, when, the, when, the, when, the, as I'm starting to land the plane and maybe the plane, you know, I prefer to land my plane probably the day before I die or whatever, <laughs> but and crash it. yeah, exactly, exactly. You know? And so, but, but you know, you've, yeah, so what, what, are, what, uh, what, what habits have sustained you for the long haul, would you say? Well, again, I, I've, given this some thought and it's I'm, I'm a little embarrassed because it's so commonplace but here it is it's daily devotions daily devotions uh uh and and um you know maintaining it through thick and thin uh yeah. uh lewis talks about the rhythms of life and and it's true there are there are months when it is dry and dull mm. and then I, just just this morning, uh, God was there. <laughs> That's good. God was there. Uh, so and so there there and and in the middle of those high moments, uh, you don't worship them uh, because they're for the moment. Uh, so the second thing, and again, this is this is so so commonplace. Church attendance. Yeah. Uh, I, I, with, with COVID, we have stopped having our Sunday evening services and, and the pastor tells me we're going to start again. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I, yeah. um, and, and related to that, <laughs> this goes back to college days, Sunday observance. Uh, uh, my, my major professor in college was working on his doctorate at the time. And he said, at 11:59 on Saturday I stop. Yeah. Yeah. I, my work, my work he said is study. I stop. And if I have to at 1:01 a.m. on Monday <laughs> I open the books again. That that made an impression on yeah. a young college student and uh, that was my pattern that has been my pattern. Uh whatever my work is, I don't do it on the Lord's day. And I, uh, uh, you know, I, the, the, the Jews, uh, when, when the mother of the house on, on Sabbath Eve uh, lights the candles and then puts a, a, a lovely meal on the table, uh, wow, oh, day of rest and gladness. Uh, small groups. Yeah. I've, I've uh, been in one or another of them virtually all of my adult life. Uh, uh, one, one of the priceless experiences, my first two years of teaching at Barrington College in Rhode Island, the, the Bible and religion faculty, there were four of us, we and our wives uh, got together every Sunday night for a Bible study and for, for a kid, you know, I was, I was 28 years old at that point, uh, to, to be with these uh, uh, none of them were really, I thought they were old, but my goodness, they were probably 40. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, but to be with these more seasoned men and women, uh, wow, wow. And, and so that's sort of part of what has shaped me since in wanting to carry that on. Uh, uh, and and I'll, I'll tell you something, I don't know how much more time, if we have any more time, but uh, I idolized Dr. Kinlaw. Yes, yeah. He had been so 
instrumental in the critical moments of, of my life, I idolized him. And I was sure that if I could just become another Dennis Kinlaw, I would really, really be pleasing to God. Well, when I came back to teach and began to know him a little more personally, I realized what I had created didn't exist. Right. He had struggles with guidance as I did. He had struggles with temptation as I did. And I thought, oh my goodness. So for about eight or 10 years, I was beating myself black and blue, trying to be like something that didn't exist. That's really important. That's good. And I kind of made up my mind at that point that I was, and that's that's where you came into it <laughs> 20 years ago. Uh, I made up my mind that I was going to find some bright guys in the uh, seminary, and I was going to share myself with them. Mm -hmm. They were, if they if they chose to model themselves on me, they'd be modeling themselves on something real mm -hmm. and something that they had created in some misguided hero worship so anyway small groups um the other thing and this has been this has just been a byproduct some of my richest devotional times have been studying the bible in preparation for teaching that's good yeah yeah uh uh what a what a blessing to to just be able to dig in and and dig in with with seriousness and 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 suddenly see the face of God looking back out at me. Yeah. No, that's that's uh, that was so good. No, great, uh, great answer. And I, yeah, wow. And you know, and I can look back. I mean, I, st I still do. But uh, you know, everybody listening, this doesn't go to Asbury, but it's just such a blessing. I mean, David Bauer was so good to me the whole time I was there, and then and in you also. And I'll I'll really never forget the times. And you know, it's really interesting what you just said about Dr. Kinlock because you really did. Again, I mean, you shared really personal stuff that. Uh, but, but that I mean, it's like okay, wow. But I would say that that really helped me. And I I think yeah, looking you know that really was that's what that group really did. You shared yourself, you told your story. And you let us all be real. Uh, and that, that was a real gift. So you know, thank you. And it's so cool to see how that came, uh, how, how that, that came apart. And I just want to thank you for your ministry. Thank you for your books. Um, thanks for coming on the, the show today. Thank you for what you've done for my life. And um, you know, we look forward to seeing um, more things you come up. You've been doing stuff for Seedbed. So, I mean, it's, it's just uh, su such a blessing. So just thank you for, you know, for answering God's call those years ago. And, and, you know, your plane's still flying around and, uh, and I'm, and I'm guessing that it, you're, you're going to land the plane really well here when God welcomes you in the glory. So thank you Amen. so much, John. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. And everyone, thank thanks. And yeah, thanks everyone for listening all the way to the end today. Uh, so grateful. And until next time, live by faith, be known by love and be voices of hope in this world. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. If you found this episode to be really helpful, would you share it with a friend today? Maybe email it to them or subscribe to the show or leave a review to help other people find this. Encourage you to check out the show notes if you're interested in connecting with any of the recommendations that you heard on the show. And if you're interested in connecting with me, have any suggestions for guests or feedback, email me directly at deepdivespirituality at gmail.com. If you're interested in receiving some information about my forthcoming book on Centering Prayer, I invite you to check out centeringprayerbook.com. And I look forward to seeing you next time.